Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer, Susan Slusser, and today we're joined by A's outfielder, Book Powell, who talks about his time with the Mariners last year on his opening night triple and on meeting his namesake, the original Book Powell, last year. Former A's outfielder Nick Swisher stops by for the Player's Choice segment, and because he cannot be constrained to one topic, it's more of a free-flowing discussion, uh, including what his wife, the actress Joanna Garcia, is currently up to. And as always, John Shea and I will talk about the most pertinent recent issues about the A's and the American League West, including a discussion on Shohei Otani's Major League debut against the A's. Today's guest is second-year outfielder Boog Powell, whose 11th inning triple on opening day kick-started the A's winning rally. Boog, we first met last year in Seattle when you were up with the Mariners. And I went over, I remember talking to you because you'd gotten your first big league hit against the A's, and all the A's young guys were excited because they played with you in the A's minor league system. What, what was that like with you being with the Mariners and then in the middle of the season getting traded back to your original team, the A's? Um, I mean, getting traded back was was awesome. I, I loved I loved Seattle. I loved uh, coming up with them originally, but I mean, coming back over here and the vibe over here, knowing everybody, it's just it felt like I was just coming home. What, what were the A's minor league? What was the system like for you and when you were in the A's minor league system? Every everywhere I went. I mean, I played everywhere until uh, Stockton and enjoyed every bit of it. Uh, Rick McNante, Skip, he, uh, he, everybody calls him my dad. They, he, he's, uh, we're, we're really close and he actually texted me yesterday and told me to engage my lower half more on my swing. So, but yeah, so I, I mean, I, I still stay in contact with a lot of them and it's awesome. Was that before or after the triple? That was after. That was last night. That was after, last night. I'm not sure I'd be calling you with like any like little tips after you've basically won opening day. That's pretty funny. Um, so were you surprised when the trade happened last year? I mean, because you obviously had come up with the Mariners and you looked like you were probably in their future plans and then suddenly you're back here. Um, no, I wasn't surprised. I mean, I was, I, I, I know my ability and I mean, Hanniger, Gamble, Heredia, that they were all killing it. So you can't really trade a good outfielder for a good outfielder, like just swap them in the outfield. So there wasn't really a place for me at that time and came over here and they were making their playoff push. So they got yonder and I came over here and uh, proved myself when I started playing every day in center and loved it. Uh, You were obviously with the Mariners last year when they were making crazy, crazy trades, like it's like every day there were like transactions. What was that like both when you were at the big league level and then when you were back in the minors where I guess guys were probably just coming and going nonstop? Yeah, yeah, guys were coming and going nonstop, but thankfully, I mean, every every person that came, like swapped out was awesome. I mean, we had like guys like Mark Lowe, Gordon Beckham, um, uh, Gene Machi. It was so, so they were all veteran guys, and it, it was a lot of fun, especially down in AAA. But yeah, the, at the big league level, I mean, guys swapping out and stuff, but we, we just kept it calm and fun. Yeah, that must have been really weird. And I guess maybe that kind of takes away some of the surprise when you yourself get traded, because Jerry Depoto essentially was moving everybody kind of all around like chess pieces all, all year. Yeah, yeah, it, it didn't really surprise me too much. Uh, so how do you evaluate your first year in the in the major leagues last year? Um, just 
it got me experience, I'd say. Because um, I went from being up with the Mariners, I mean, not playing every day. I, Nelson Cruz got hurt, what, three times, and I DH'd a couple times. And uh, just, I sat up there for, I think, 22 games, I didn't get a start. And uh, just learning how to do all that, and because I already knew how to play every day, because I've played every day in the minor leagues. And then uh, coming over here, and then being able to play every day, so I, I got I got to be able to experience every every little part of it, and that's what I I would I would talk to a lot of the veteran guys about how to handle the starting role and the backup role and all that stuff. So it was just an experience and learning and everything, and then now I I have all that experience. I feel like I have it all, and so it's just I can go out there and just be myself. Who over there did you learn the most from? Did you, did you pick guys' brains? Who, who did you kind of like look at and try to maybe pick up some things from? I would Nelson Cruz. Yeah, I mean, we're obviously completely different hitters and players and everything, but he's just so smart and just loves to just talk baseball. And I mean, if with every little thing I did, he would just come up to me and he, he would never try to change anything with me. He would also he would just try to help me and just try to stay positive with me and anything I needed he would he would be there for me so it was just and especially having a guy like him do that for me it, it just meant a lot. Does that especially help you in in things like thinking your way through an at bat because you know as we talked about a little bit after opening night after opening day you you uh, had I think saw 21 pitches in your previous two at bats before the triple. Mm -hmm. I mean you're having nice long at bats mm -hmm. so. Does talking to a guy like that who takes great at-bats, does that kind of help you in, in your process when you're in the middle of a long at-bat? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely. And he, he would he always, he always stays calm, and that's what I mean. I tried something new this year, and I, I just look up for a little bit and just, just try to stay calm and just remember what I'm trying to do and just stay through my process. And it's, I mean, it's been working out for me. When do you do that? When, when do you kind of look up and take a little moment? Just when I'm grinding out the at-bats, especially, or uh, I, I, I take a good swing and I foul it off or something, and I, I, I think like, oh man, I should have hit that. And then I just like get all amped up and I just, I just look up. I look up at the scoreboard actually, I don't know why. But uh, yeah, I just, I just look up there and it just, I just take one or two seconds and just look up and just calm myself down. And it, it really helps. It's like a little reset for you. Yeah, yeah, it's like a little reset just with staying with my approach. How would you describe your approach? How would you describe yourself as a hitter? Um, patient. I, I'd say patient. Um, I, I, I try. I try to. Uh, I mean, see as many pitches as I can, and that actually worked out. But uh, I just, I just look for a good pitch to hit, and just try to stay away from not swinging at any balls. Um, so, obviously. We've discussed your name, Boog Powell, before, but for people that don't know, how did you get the name Boog Powell? Because, of course, there is the very famous first Boog Powell, the yep. Oreo, former Orioles star. Mm -hmm. uh, so my, they call my grandpa Herschel, they call my dad Mac, and I needed a nickname. So uh, I went by Little Mac as a kid, and then uh, my dad started calling me Boog, and then my, my parents did, and then uh, my dad coached me in baseball. So all my baseball friends started calling me Boog, and then it just slowly escalated because I went to school with my baseball friends so then my teammate or classmates would call me Boog and then by junior year of high school I think everybody was calling me Boog there was no more Mac. That's amazing so that one of the 
most fun things that happened all of last year was when we, we were in Baltimore and you got to beat the original Boog Powell. What was that like for you after so many years of also being named Boog Powell and people talking about it and writing about it? Uh, it, it was an experience I'll never forget. I mean, I I told myself I, w I, I never wanted to meet him unless I went to Baltimore because I knew he had his barbecue unless I went to Baltimore and I was playing against the Orioles. And so it actually ended up working out and then we got it. We got it to go on MLB Network and stuff and made it a little kind of a small big deal. And it, uh, it was it was just fun. He's a, he's a great guy. And you guys also kind of conference called or uh, Skyped with um, the other Boog Powell, the Youth League Boog Powell. What was that? That was, I mean, three Boog Powells. None of you were related. It yeah. was crazy. Yeah, it was, it was really funny because uh, the little Boog Powell was actually in um, study hall at school. So he was FaceTiming us in study hall. And then the big Boog Powell didn't really know how to use FaceTime. So I got to teach him how to use FaceTime, and then we talked to the little Boog Powell, and he was a little nervous, but it, it was, it was, we kept it pretty fun. How was the barbecue? It was really good. Really, I didn't get to eat much of it, but I remembered I, I took two bites of it, and it was really good, and then I just crushed the fries. <laughs> it seems like since you also are named Boog Powell, that maybe he should cut you in on a little bit of the franchise. No, no, that's all him. That's all him. That's all him. <laughs> um, what, so does, does he get a kick out of the fact that you are also named Boog Powell? Did you get the sense that he kind of like just digs it as much as all the rest of us do? Oh yeah, yeah, he, he, didn't, he didn't have any problem with it and that's, that was the best part about it. Like, I mean, you, you can't, I mean, if you were him and you were mad about it, you, you can't really be mad about it. I mean, it's just, it's somebody having your name. I mean, he's a legend. So, uh, yeah, he, he was he was very cool, and we, we kept our conversations very fun. Um, now, you were in an unusual situation this spring. Obviously, the A's last year trade for Dustin Fowler and bring him in, and you guys essentially were in competition all spring. You're very similar players, and you wind up essentially having, like, mirror springs. What, what was the spring like for you? How did you approach it? Um, just trying to get locked in for season and just try to do everything I can to do everything right. And uh, my swing, I mean, it, I didn't have the greatest spring, but I made good at bats. And my defense was really good and, and ended up working out and I got this job and hopefully I can continue to do everything I can for the team and stay. Now, you and Dustin had lockers right next to each other, too, and I think you're, you're fairly good friends. What, what, what's that like when you're sort of in direct competition with a guy you're sitting right next to every day and friendly with? Um, well, it, it, it was actually, uh, he came on the road with us. I believe it was in Texas. I was hurt last year, and he was hurt, and we ended up talking about the situation, like, hey, it's going to be one of us next year. We, we already knew from the get-go. And like I, I told him I was like I don't want like any hostile hostility like I, I want to keep it fun like and that's how it was I mean seriously we I mean what when we were out here for the Baybird series we were going to get breakfast every morning together like I mean we we kept it really we kept it really fun and we were very open talking about it and everything so it it was like yeah we knew we ha we were in the competition but we weren't trying to to make the other person like we, we, we didn't wish the worst for the other person we both wanted each other to do good now um how do you prepare not knowing where you're going to start the season what what do you do when you're thinking i might go to nashville or where going because it as bob melvin said it went right down to the wire yeah um i actually my mom drove out to arizona or flew out to arizona 
uh, right before we left for the Baybird series and she drove my truck with all my stuff in it back home and uh, and then she was just waiting on the call to see where I was gonna go and if I was gonna go to Nashville then I would have flown home and then drove to Nashville and then she ended up driving out yesterday morning and uh, she was she, she, I guess she woke up at 1 a.m. she said and she was just up she was so excited to come and then uh, ended up getting here at 9 a.m. she left at like 4 and then was here for opening day and it was it was something that I don't think any of us will ever forget now you said um, she and you, both your parents and your grandparents were here for opening day uh, what was that like for them especially when you hit the triple that leads to the A's winning rally uh, it was I mean like uh, yeah it was I mean as soon as I saw my parents after the game both of them started getting all teary-eyed and then I it got it made me very emotional too so it was it's it was definitely I mean it, it was it, it's crazy just to think about like I mean I grew up an Angels fan and next thing you know I'm playing against Mike Trout on opening day and opening day is a special has always been a huge part of me because it's the start of baseball season I mean that's one of my favorite it's always been one of my favorite days and now being able to start against my old favorite team like it just meant the world yeah, and you hit a triple that leads to the winning rally and Mike Trout goes over six I mean that's that's a pretty crazy day take us through really I know you've got to go stretch but take us really quickly through the at bat and what you're kind of thinking I was just trying to put the ball in play at, at that point I just I kept fouling off pitches and I was just I was kept getting frustrated but I, I, then again, I tried to stay calm and stay within my process. And at that point, I was just like, all right, just put the ball in play. Because, I mean, when I put the ball in play, good things happen. Majority of the time when I put the ball in the play, in play. so it ended up working out for me. And you're thinking three, the, essentially the whole way out of the box. Uh, yeah, as, as soon as, I mean, I, I, I thought he was going to get to it. And then as soon as I hear the crowd start to get up and cheer, I just as soon as I as soon as I heard that I looked up and I saw him running after the ball and I was immediately going three especially with one out I was gonna test it and Marcus Simeon comes up they've got uh, they walk Matt Joyce to intentionally and they decide to go with five men in the infield and two in the outfield and leave center field open what are you thinking when you see Simeon at the plate um, I mean he's a he's a great hitter I, I, I think honestly anybody in our lineup I would be confident with it's but Semyon, he, he's, he's been really hot lately and he had a great spring. And I know he's, a, he's very good at making contact and that's exactly what he did and it worked out. Perfect way to start opening the, the opening season uh, here at uh, the Coliseum. Great job by you, Boog Powell. Thanks for joining us on Ace Plus. Thank you. We welcome Nick Swisher to the A's Plus podcast. A blast of the past. Top 50. Your top 50 wow. A's player. This is this is pretty delightful. Can you delightful. believe that? Can you, I, what an honor. I, I, it's just nice to see you, Nick. Whatever it takes to get you back, even though Nick Swisher cut his hair, which is sort of a... Oh, I know. It's the second time I've done it on this field almost. Yeah, please uh, don't. Yeah, the first time at least it went for a good cut. Yes, totally. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I think for all of us now, I mean, you're looking around right here. I mean, we got Chavez, we got Hattie, we got Mark Ellis, we got Zito, Motor, Huddy. I mean, like... This is amazing. Like yeah. to be able to come back here for Oakland to bring us all back. I mean, this is this this is this is what good organizations do. They bring back their players. So for all of us to have the opportunity to come here and to be part of this, I mean, maybe it might be it, it, 
the same for me as it is for a lot of these guys. This is where it all started. And to have the opportunity to come here, I mean, Billy gave me my shot. So uh, to be able to come back and enjoy this moment, and hopefully tonight is amazing. I mean, Oakland's 1-0 right now, so they're feeling, we're feeling really good. Um, so just to be able to be back and to experience this and to see everybody that we haven't seen in so long, uh, this is awesome. You guys had such good teams when you were here, particularly, the, obviously, we all remember that 2006 team. Yes. What, what are your memories of that team? I think just a lot of fun. Just the guys, more than anything. I think, you know, now that now that it's all over, you kind of look back, those are the things that you miss the most. Is is not only playing the game, but just like the road trips or like, you know, just hanging with the guys, maybe the plane flights, things like that. Um, because you develop such camaraderie with these guys over such a short amount of time. Um, and, and for myself, it's like you want to go back. You want to go back and do all that over. Uh, but like I said, when the dream's over, it's over. So to be able to come back and enjoy this uh, at least one more time, I mean, this is something that none of us would, we would none of us would miss this. Now tell, tell me a little bit about what you're doing. You've obviously got a little TV experience now. You've been working for Fox. Right. And you, it sounds like you also got a little bit of a front office I, job I going. Mean, you know, I, I'm, I, I've learned this game from a player standpoint um, you know last year and this year working for Fox I've learned it from the media side I mean I'm trying to get as good as you I'm learning uh, but to be able to have the opportunity to learn the game from the front office side as well uh, being you know Brian Cashman's assistant uh, uh, special assistant to um, with the New York Yankees, it's an honor for me. I mean, like, I can't get this game out of me. I just, I love it. Uh, I love being around it. I love trying to help people um, because I think for myself, it took a village to get me to where I wanted to be. So I feel that it's my duty and my obligation to, to give back because, you know, they say it takes 10,000 hours and you master something. So I, I, I don't know if I don't know if a 250 career batting average masters something, but I've definitely put the 10,000 hours in. Um, so for me, just to be able to, to enjoy all of this uh, at this early phase in my life, because in, in baseball world, I'm old, but in life, I'm a little puppy dog. So I'm still learning so many things. Uh, just trying to have as much fun as I can every day uh, with my with my family and my little baby girls. I mean, you know, my wife, she's off doing her thing, kicking ass. And uh, and I'm just trying to follow suit. Well, that's you are on the player's choice segment. And that's what I wanted to ask you about your wife, Joni Garcia, is obviously a very well-known actress. I've loved her work. Work. What is she doing now? What What are you What are you interested in that she's been up to? Well, I think the biggest thing now is like you know I'm pretty much Mr. Mom, and uh, you know Joe just finished filming up Kevin Probably Saves the World on ABC, uh, which was an unbelievable show. I mean you've seen it. Uh, it's in a world of so much negativity and so many kind of crazy things that are happening it's nice to take an hour out of your time uh, to watch something that, that makes you feel good I mean it's all about second chances helping your neighbor doing the right things uh, and, and hopefully the show can get picked up for a second season we're still waiting for that phone call and hopefully we're crossing our fingers but you know Joe I mean you know she she works every year I mean I love being married to such a badass woman because like I mean, we know who runs our house, no <laughs> doubt about it. <laughs> and she's here with me tonight. She's at the hotel, so she's coming over here later. Um, and to be able to have her come back and, and, and to witness all this, I mean, this is where it all started. So uh, it's definitely a special moment for both of us. Uh, great memories for everybody, everybody out here. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Nick Swisher. Thanks for so much for joining us on Ace Plus. Oh, you got it. Anytime. John Shea in for Shea Plus and of course the big news uh, was the start of the regular season and for the A's that meant seeing Shohei Otani up close and personal in his major league debut both as a hitter and as a pitcher. 
John Shea, what were your impressions of Shohei Otani? Well, boy, I'd love to fast forward a year or so and see what these stats are over six months because as a pitcher, he looked dynamite. As a hitter, we'll, we'll see because one hit in five at-bats, uh, sharp grounder through the right side, and he's only a part-time hitter. He doesn't have uh, the opportunity to perfect his craft as a full-time hitter. In other words, daily BP, daily um uh, you know, mechanics daily in the cage because he'll have a throw time uh, between starts. And then, of course, when he does start, that's all that matters. And he won't hit before the day before or the day after. But on the mound, I thought he looked terrific. Um, you know, he was throwing up there toward 98. Uh, he was throwing splits. He was throwing sliders. He had a few curves, kept him guessing that way. And I think we could see how good he was based on what the hitters were doing. They struck out six times, all swinging. And in other words, they could see it, but they really couldn't see it. Uh, the, the guy was throwing 98, and you were thinking his his uh, mechanics and his delivery were so free and easy that you were thinking, well, this is 92. But suddenly it's by you at 98, and that's a big difference. And, you know, some of these batters were thinking – uh, I guess they were either guessing wrong or they just couldn't keep up with what he was throwing. The splitter was diving. The, the slider was hard to hit. Everything was low. They were waving at it. And in the end, he gave up three runs all on one swing by Chapman. In fact, all the hits he allowed were in that one inning, single, single home run. And otherwise, he threw hitless ball over the other five innings, and he retired, what, 14 out of 15 after the home run. And so it's it, it, it's pretty impressive. You look at the line; it's six innings, three runs, but really, it's that was all one swing. And otherwise, I think uh, he, he was he was fantastic. So I I, I want to see him over the course of two months, three months, six months, and and determine how good this guy really is because his stuff was electric, and all the A's hitters said so. Yeah, it's interesting because his they kind of hit him during the spring. He had only limited time, and he didn't look that good, uh, certainly from a pitching standpoint, um, for, from what what he did during the spring. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I think, obviously, after one start, nobody really knows what to make of him, but my goodness, uh, it looks like the, the Angels might have a uh, very cost-effective uh, and, yeah. and potentially big weapon there. And that's that's the thing. And, and you know what? No, nobody really talked about the fact that Remember in the offseason, he let everybody kind of pursue him, and then he narrowed it down to seven finalists, including every West Coast team except one, the A's. It was Seattle, it was San Francisco, it was uh, Anaheim, it, it was L.A., it was San Diego, everyone but the A's. So Scott Osler, in the postgame news conference Sunday, says, uh, you know, raises his hand, you know, excuse me, get wh- why didn't you include the A's on your list of seven finalists? You cl- included every other West Coast team. And then went through his interpreter, and then the answer was, I don't want to talk about that right now. <laughs> well, I think he's always so going to have a soft, spot, a soft spot in Oakland for, uh, in his heart in some ways after making that kind of spectacular debut there. But, uh, yeah, yeah two of them. he, he could be a thorn in the A's side for some time win. if they don't figure it out. Now, the A's offense, we, we spoke – 
last year, and certainly John uh, Bob Melvin has discussed it quite often. The A's relied so much on the home run. You know, 45 percent, I think, of their runs last year scored on on homers, and so far that that's what it's looking like this season. Uh, do do they need to diversify their offense? What what needs to happen here? Absolutely, home runs and strikeouts got them into last place last year. They need to get guys on, get them over, and get them in. Whether it's a sacrifice fly, hitting behind the runner, I mean, all those old-fashioned things you do to win ball games, the little things, and that's the only way they can do this. They, they, they've got to manufacture runs, and Melvin spoke about it at the end of last year. It's great to have the home runs, great to score these runs, but we got to figure out ways to do it otherwise. And the opener was nice because two swings overcame a four-nothing deficit, and the A's won that opener, but they haven't won since the three games in Anaheim uh, against Anaheim. I'm, I'm talking about but that's that's the key i think but i think you'll see a uh, much more well-rounded offense this year with chapman and olsen developing on an everyday basis because last year there was only a smaller sample size a great sample size but i think now that they have the comfort of knowing they're going to be in the lineup every day over six months i think you're going to see the on-base percentages come up a little bit, and I think Davis, who hit well in that opening series, is going to keep hitting. So that three, four, five, three, four, five, six. You know, if the top guys can get on base, I think you're going to see some better overall offensive production. We we spoke last week, and and we've spoken often, in fact, about the uh, A's. Uh, thin rotation, uh, guys going down left and right. And when we spoke a week ago, uh, it was uh, certainly apparent to me that the the A's were not addressing what might be a significant elbow injury to A.J. Puck. Nobody was talking about it. It was very hush-hush. So there were a lot of worries. And it, of course, came to be that he now needs Tommy John surgery, their top pitching prospect and a guy we we thought was going to contribute this year. Do the A's need to go out and get another starting pitcher? Um, How quickly do they need to get Trevor Cahill and Brett Anderson up? How, how much of a concern is the A's rotation in your mind at this point, John? Well, even when they do, or if they do, bring in Cahill and Anderson at the big league level, who knows whether they'll be anywhere close to what they were in their prime when they went deep into games. That's what they would need because the rotation as is, Manaya had a fantastic start in the, in the second game, very good. Got the loss uh, because there just wasn't much help. Uh, Mengden had winnable stuff in the third game. His defense failed him. Uh, Gossett was iffy in that fourth game. Uh, Graveman in the opener kind of struggled, uh, gave up too many runs in a short stint, and the offense really bailed him out, and the bullpen. So I, the the defense is pretty shoddy in that first series. I think it's going to be better. I think it's a good bullpen. I think it's a very good lineup, but it's do or die with this rotation. And uh, you're right about Puck. It, it would have been fantastic uh, shot in the arm in May or June. Uh, maybe that's not a good term shot in the arm because that's why he's out for a year. Uh, the Tommy John surgery. So to depend on Cahill and Anderson, it's nice, but I don't see him really going out and getting somebody because it's not like they figure on contending anyway. It's more about developing these young arms. And so we're going to see some growing pains. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And it, it, you alluded to the poor defense over the weekend, which um, was surprising because that there, I think there's really no doubt in, in people's minds that the, the A's defense will be much improved this year. The fact to, to me that it was essentially all in the outfield, 
uh, is almost encouraging because I can't imagine the, the A's are going to continue this trend of poor outfield play. Their outfielders are much better than. Um, but uh, I know you spoke to Chris Davis at length during the spring about his work in the outfield. Now that he moves to DH in as sort of a, a more full-time role, how difficult is it for him in the outfield on, on those occasions when he is, when he, he was pressed into duty with, with Matt Joyce having rolled his ankle? Well, for his, the, the defense that he played last year, people would knock it. I, I do think his arm strength and um, aim is much better than it was. He worked on it uh, a lot in spring training and worked on it in the offseason, as he said in interviews. But the fact is he had a couple of balls that just popped out of his glove, and maybe he makes those catches last year. But there's so much focused on this guy going from left field, 130, 140, 150 games, to DH, and they were hoping, well, maybe a quarter, maybe even a fifth of his games now will be in left field. Well, in that first series, he had to play more than expected because Joyce was unable to play left field. So uh, you're, you're looking at him maybe being more exposed, but I think the problem here is that when you give him fewer reps in game situations, that's less chance for him to improve the craft and keep in a defensive rhythm. It's not just about offensive rhythm. It's about defensive rhythm, seeing the balls on a regular basis come off the bat. And it's a tough field to play left field at the Coliseum. But anyway, I, I it seems like this uh, is something to overcome for Chris Davis because with the fewer reps, uh, and he, it's just it just might be tougher for him to keep up. We, we all know that he was fine chasing down the ball, but the issue was always the throws, which he improved on. So it's something to watch for sure. Yeah, and there were a few miscommunications, which is that's going to happen early in a season, especially with a few new outfielders like Biscotti. And, uh, you know, Boog Powell was kind of in a battle all spring for would he make the team, would he not make the team. I, I think that's going to come together. Um, now, we also mentioned Trevor Cahill, Brett Anderson. It, it, it's a running theme, former A's. Um, <laughs> like, come playoff time, that seems like that's all anybody talks about is former A's. You had an interesting piece in the Sunday Chronicle about um, what former A's are up to now. What what sort of jumps out to you from uh, the guys around the league? Well, we just saw Yonder Alonso a year ago get his first all-star appearance and that's because of a killer first half in which he was just home run crazy he never hit more than nine in his life and now all of a sudden he's on his way to 22 uh with the a's 28 overall including with seattle so he signs this nice contract with cleveland to be the first baseman a nice two-year deal uh and and you kind of wonder well is, is he going to be the uh, Alonzo, who was with the A's, or the Alonzo who didn't hit as well in the second half, including with Seattle. But sure enough, uh, big day the other day, hits a grand slam and, you know, back into the rhythm. He got that two-year, $16 million deal. And for the first time, he's on a playoff-bound team, I believe. So it, it's going to be a little bit different for him. Uh, you know, he's with the Reds, he's with the A's, some struggling teams. So it, it's it's going to be fun to keep an eye on him. Uh, couple others real quick. Donaldson and Cespedes, right? The heart of that team a few years ago, the, the last good team here in Oakland. And uh, Donaldson, you're looking at his throws in, with Toronto. He's just, we're talking about Chris Davis's arm. Well, Donaldson has an issue with his arm. They're calling it a dead arm. And he was like shot putting the ball across the diamond in that opener. And, you know, he said he'll make it uh, make, make his way through this, but, uh, they've been DHing him the last few days. And so it's, you, you wonder, it's kind of a big year for him. He'll be a free agent after the season. 
and it's it's big on him to put up the big numbers to get the big deal because if he doesn't overcome this arm issue, then you know he's going to really drop down in value. And Cespedes with with the Mets is suddenly hitting second. He's their new uh, number two guy. Melvin always loved him in the middle of the lineup, but Cespedes somehow has become a on base machine as a Met. Uh, over 350, so he's he's their two guy, and he came through in the opener with a few RBIs, a couple of hits, and then he hit a home run in the Saturday game. So the, he, I think he's found a home as the number two hitter. One other guy, Sonny Gray, remember the ace of the staff. Well, where is he in the Yankees rotation? He's number four, so a lot less pressure off uh, uh, Sonny Gray because uh, he, you know, he he came out of spring training saying that it's the best he's felt entering a season. Remember a year ago he started on the DL, and you look at his first start. It was what Sunday, and you say, well, it was four innings. It was one run. Why did they take him out? Well, it was eighty-nine pitches. He he gave up seven hits. He walked three guys. He struck out eight. So there's some long at bats, and it wasn't real uh, efficient, but. Uh, uh, you know, decent, decent numbers overall, nice ERA to start off with, but I, you know, he's the kind of guy who likes to go deeper in the game. So there's another guy to watch. We all, we always look at the A's. There's always an all-star lineup of former A's for some reason. Well, the, the perfect timing to segue into this. The A's had their 50 year in Oakland, uh, all anniversary team, uh, on the field on Friday. They, I think they had close to 30 of them, 30 of the 50. It uh, was mm. wonderful to see. I know you were out there too and uh, uh, so many greats out there mingling around. Uh, Jose Canseco talked to me a little bit about Chris Davis and Matt Olson as the new Bash brothers. He says he'd love to see Chris Davis hit 50. And Ricky <laughs> Henderson uh, who, of course, I, I don't know how many people, how many listeners know you, you worked with Ricky uh, on his book when he was a player. Terrific book. Uh, and I learned uh, one of my, I think, favorite facts the other day uh, <laughs> is that Andre Brower did the audio recording of your book with Ricky and I'm gonna I absolutely have to track that down because that sounds amazing but Ricky was out there and uh, he has a very close relationship with Matt Olson from working with him in the minor leagues he actually called Olson's opening day homer when he was in the in the box with all these former great A's that had, had come back they were very impressed by that uh, so he just loves loves Olson uh, and uh, it, it was just a really fun time what did what'd you think of that that night uh, Friday night and t- Steve Loosen is showing out the first pitch and all the greats coming back. It was a lot of fun. The A's historically have not been big on nostalgia or putting together these killer reunions like the Giants have always done uh, in the 90s and the 2000s, bringing back the old guys. But finally, the A's are getting a hang of this stuff. And the last couple they've had have been really good. And you're right, just mingling around the field during batting practice the other day was, was pretty cool. It was like a field of dreams. And you're looking over at the batting cage and you see Blue Moon Odom uh, next to Jose Canseco talking baseball while watching the A's batters hit. And, you know, even the current guys got into it. Like Marcus Simeon came out and talked to some of the uh, old infielders about about defense and improvement, which he should. I mean, it's wise to take advantage of, of these resources. Why not? I mean, you're uh, silly not to. Kendall Graveman came out and talked to some older starting pitchers. And you know that it was probably a great session just to talk ball and get a couple pointers and just to, you know, feed off each other, the different generations. And that, that's what struck me is all these guys from the different eras getting together. And, of course, when they were introduced, their personalities came out. They were introduced at left center and then right center. And they came down this long yellow, was it yellow or gold or whatever? 
uh, rug or tarp all the way down to the infield. And uh, Eric Burns came out. He sprinted all the way. Canseco came out. He flexed his muscle. Uh, Ricky came out. He pulled out his collar and pointed. <laughs> and, uh, you know, on and on. Chris Davis, he pulled out his uh, jersey, you know, Oakland Pride and all this stuff. So it was it was pretty cool. I mean, Chris Davis, by the way, was the only current player on this list. Yeah, I, I loved it. I, I, I'm looking, one of the main reasons that I, I'm really happy the A's are doing this 50th anniversary celebration essentially all year long is I think they're going to keep bringing back a lot of these guys. We, we will be seeing them on a regular basis, which, I mean, we've got somebody like Ricky Henderson walking around or any of the, you know, the campy Campaneras, Raleigh Fingers. It's just, uh, take advantage of it. I, you're absolutely right. It's wonderful the A's are, are doing this and they need to do more and keep it up. Now, uh, of course, you are the national baseball writer for the Chronicle. What, what jumped out to you from from looking around baseball this this first sort of week of play? Well, the only undefeated teams with more than three games played, uh, all in the National League: the Brewers, Pirates, Pirates somehow, and and Nationals. Of course, you know we we kind of expected it from the Nationals. Milwaukee's going to be a team to watch with that rebuilt outfield. Kane and Yelich both came out of the gate swinging well, uh, red hot, and you know, they had a great opening series. But I think the thing that caught my eye the most was these new rookie managers who are kind of throwing their weight around. Uh, we'll see how this works out. More and more, we see guys without any experience getting the managers' jobs and. Whether it works, who knows? But some pretty high file, uh, high profile gigs, uh, like in New York and Boston. Aaron Boone intentionally walked Donaldson. We talked about Donaldson's shoulder issue; he's not throwing well, so you walk him intentionally. Load the bases. Justin Smoke hits a grand slam, leads Toronto over the Yankees. You question that, especially because it was pretty early in the game. Alex Cora in Boston, he, he got some criticism for not relying on his closer Kimbrell in that game to close it out but most of all I think in Philadelphia you have Gabe Kapler you know the ultimate numbers guy right in a front office full of numbers guys I mean that's the wave right but here's a guy who used 18 relievers in three games and he's, he's pulling his starters early he's going to the bullpen one time there was nobody in the bullpen warm and he still went to the bullpen to call a guy and it, it was it was it was a big issue. It was pandemonium. Jerry Lane, the umpire, allowed the reliever Hobie Milner to warm up on the mound during the game, as opposed to in the bullpen. And the Atlanta ma- manager went nuts. Brian Smitker got ejected, and it, it <laughs> and it, it just came down to wait, wait a minute. You're a rookie manager, and you're trying to outsmart yourself. I think we're going a little bit too far sometimes. He's managing the bullpen as if it's mid-October, and you have all season to, to all off season to rest. You know, there's no baseball in November, but to do that in late March, early April, uh, you're going to wear out your bullpen. And when you're trying to outsmart yourself and it's not working, you're kind of exposed. Yeah, it's that's uh, especially in Philadelphia where the fans and the media can be brutal. Uh, that is going to be, I think, an ongoing story for some time. I, I was surprised that there's no mechanism in place for uh, what happened in, in that sort of incident 
when a, a reliever comes in who has not warmed up, really there should be some sort of penalty, right? Like it, for every warm-up pitch he needs out on the field, call it a ball and keep and keep walking guys until he's until he's ready to come in. It seems like to be able to just do that with with zero penalty to the team uh, is is crazy to me. I mean that just just never yeah, happen. And and you know that's a bad precedent, right? It's such a bad precedent. Yeah, oh, it's pace of play, pace of play, and then something like this happens and <laughs> just kind of gets uh, you know glossed over by the, the umpire. There really should be some sort of um, and maybe they figured it would just never happen because what manager would possibly go to a reliever that hadn't warmed up at all? But uh, yeah, there there should be some penalty to to be paid. I'd just keep putting guys on base until that reliever's warmed up. John Shea, as always, an absolute treat, and we will talk to you next week about the state of the A's and the state of Major League Baseball. Sounds good, Susan. Thanks. This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is The Third by Anatech, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. The show is produced by me and Fernando Diaz. For more A's coverage, you can follow me on Twitter at Susan Slusser. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com. <laughs>